Listen is a podcast series by the I Never Ask For It mission. The mission works to heal from victim blame by building testimonies of clothing. Survivors of violence, that is each of us, across varying degrees, bring the garment we wore when we experienced violence. Our garment is memory, witness and voice to an experience of sexual assault. Our garment is present to say, I never ask for it. Blank noise, I never ask for it and all allies are working to bring 10,000 garment voices to India Gate by 2023 in an effort to end victim blame, violence against women, girls and all persons. You are now listening to Listen, Episode 2. Episode 2 was recorded at Maxmula Bhavan in Bangalore with a circle of 29 persons during the I Never Ask For It week in September 2016. I grew up in Bombay. I live abroad now. Um, this incident was from when I was in like fifth standard or sixth standard maybe. Um, and this is in the 80s. And I was wearing shorts and that was not done in the area that we lived in because girls were not supposed to appear in short clothes. Uh, and he, this was in Bombay. It, it's not like some you know, rural area or anything, but there, there would be a lot of judgment about what you're wearing. And uh, so I just ended up getting a whole bunch of people. Like I'm just walking and there are all these bunch of people on the sides who are teasing me and calling me names. And I just felt like a very horrible person at that point. But later on, I felt like, okay, I need, I just felt like wearing it and I wore it and that's it, it's okay. Nano pant shirt so Nano Basali BMTC Basali travel martide, Matenano Gen C Telikut Kondide. So at time Nangino surgery agidilla, top surgery no agidilla. So at time Nandu voice Kelly, Sopa Huduguru, Hudgana, Hudigina, and the Undu Title Madakeshuru Madadru. So Nandu butter remove Madake Bandru. Butter remove Madoga Nano conductor Heli, the driver go Heli, the bus Nilsianta. So Basali Purti Janaidru. So first of all, Jana Yaru support Madila. Second Bandu Nano driver gay conductor go Heli, the bus Nils of the Kauru Nilsila. So Nano Nana Undu Mana Ulskolakanano, first of all, bus in the jump Marde. So jump madi na no police station go hogi complain kodoga kuda police oru ni nondu women agi enke ni pants shirt akondi dia so na na orge hela kagi la na no itara henni henna agi uti udga akbeko anta so yen mada kagi la so na no women anta heli ali complain baria kodha ko kuda aur heli to ni wo haircut mar kondi dira pants shirt akondi dira so adu kosra auru ariti ata dir bodo anta so na no nange tumba bayai to munde hogo dikhe manige so, I have police protection, at least I have a money order drop. So, last two final, I police support Madila. So, I have an NGO member who has called Madila and I have a money So, this incident happened in a BMTC bus. I was wearing a pant and shirt, so I was sitting on a gent seat, and a couple of 
men around me came to me and said that. And they figured out because of my voice. And they said, are you a man and a woman? And they started to remove my clothes. Then a, a conversation kind of took place. And I asked the conductor repeatedly and the bus driver to stop the bus there. That didn't happen. So to save myself, I jumped out of the bus. Then I go to the police station to kind of complain. And the police ask, again, are you a man or a woman? Then I say, no. Because I didn't want to say that I'm a trans man to the police. Then I said, no, I'm a woman. Take the complaint. And the police said, no, your hair is cut short. You're wearing a pant. You're wearing a shirt. So that is not their problem. That is your problem. Then repeatedly, I told the police, no, please take the complaint. And I finally asked them, because I was very paranoid of the incident, I asked them, at least can you escort me to, to go back to my house, because I'm not going to go back. But still then, the police didn't kind of provide me any support. I had to call a colleague of mine who works in an NGO to kind of come and provide me that support. So that was my experience. I think I just remember very clearly as I was 12. Um, I remember I was, I was 12 and my body was changing. And I remember just walking around very happily with an arched back. And I had a, a cousin who was four years older than me, or not a cousin, my aunt, uh, who was four years older than me. But she told me how I should walk and how I should hunch and how I should be careful because uncles around me might feel uncomfortable. And simultaneously, I had uh, my mom saying that, um, you know, hug your uncle sideways. So what does that say to a 12-year-old? It says you should, not, you should not trust men, you should be careful. But it also teaches you to not take pride in your body. And how do we, okay, that's, that's what my experience. And that's something that really taught me about a relationship with the body that I've been trying to change, that it's not supposed to be a place of shame, it's supposed to be a place of pride and some a place of belonging. Um, so uh, one of the echoes that I've listened to with both your stories has been about clothes and clothing. Um, I don't identify as a straight person and one of the ways that that's been shown is with my clothing, with what I wear and how I choose to express myself. So growing up there was always a contradiction, like from childhood to teenager to adult, there has always been a conversation in our family with me about how I should dress to protect myself from being stared at by men and being made fun of or whatever, and also how to dress and identify as a woman. And that contradiction has always been very interesting because um, this is where I get to the story, it's not very long. Well, a couple of years ago, maybe a year or two ago, I remember being, I remember standing at a bus station waiting for a friend to pick me up because I had to, we were going to go watch a movie. This was in Chennai. Um, and I remember standing there, this was I think nine o'clock at night. And I was just standing waiting for my friend to pick me up and this old man comes and he smiles at me so I smile back because I think it's, I'm being polite. And he smiles again and then he says, how's it going? And he sort of tries to start a conversation. I'm like, nothing. He's like, do you want to go somewhere? I was like, no, I'm waiting for a friend to pick me up. Why? He's like, because I thought we could go to a room together and spend the night. And I just stood there in absolute shock because I, I remember thinking what part of me is dressed in any way to give the idea that I am available for a night of whatever for money. Until date, and this is not something that, this wasn't the first time this has happened. This has happened over and over again on two or three different occasions. And it just makes me wonder, what am I doing? What, what am I emoting out to give the idea that I am available for this kind of 
situation. It doesn't mean that I don't think it's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just not something that I do. So it just, it just, it bowled me over. I think it happens to most of the people. I mean, when they see a single woman, especially in an earthly hour, uh, not everybody, but people do, maybe the thought will come. Let's try. The straight thing kind of resonated with me because I don't identify, I identify myself as queer, so I don't believe, I actually believe in obliterating the gender binary, to be honest. So this was a couple of years back. I think it takes back to me when I was 14 and 15, the old kind of equation of how we are kind of brought up because if you're a boy, the masculine equals to man and feminine equals to women, and I, I don't kind of fit in there. So I think I am both, both masculine and feminine. I think the femme part is overwhelmingly gorgeous, and I believe in that. And then how I was kind of constantly being abused in school, and I had to kind of go through a couple of kind of bullying. I was taken then to a psychiatrist because at that point of time, you had all these supposedly called conversion therapies, which has been happening. I had to be put into shock treatment to kind of convert. I had to go to a couple of sessions of shock. Then in terms of coming back to that, and I kind of, this kind of resonated me. Also, it went back when I was at about 14 in the BMTC bus because when Christy was sharing, it kind of resonated. We were sitting in the last bench, there's this old man who kind of sat next to me and just kept on rubbing me, he went on to kind of touch my penis, and that even today I don't really travel in a public bus. I don't take public transportation. I always prefer the autos because because that experience kind of resonated with me. And at that point of time, I really felt that I would really want to cut off the man's hand, and I kind of went on and on. But after many years in terms of involving, and today when I kind of look back, I really want to have a conversation with that person. I want to get into a conversation not from a standpoint of anger, but I really want to get into a conversation from a side of compassion. I want to build that care and compassion with that person, why that person really did to me. And today I realized, because somewhere in terms of also going back to the videos which clearly coming up, and some really spoke about vigilantism in terms of attacking, because I, because in all my activism years, I really figured out that, that capital punishment is really not the answer, because how do you kind of turn it upside down and how do you have these conversations becomes important because there's enough empirical data to show globally that capital punishment will not kind of lead to, so that kind of triggered out, because when you start to identify yourself as queer, for me it happened, the first site of violence is from the family, because your father starts to attack you, your cousins start to attack you, then the state becomes a site of violence, then your neighbors become a site of violence, your school becomes a site of violence, around me everything started to be a site of violence, because I really didn't stick to the old identity of this binary of what man and woman is, and I think this old thing of binary is a false thing, because gender is fluidity, and then when you kind to start sharing because when people are queer individuals, there's no spaces to kind of share these issues because you're constantly being pushed aside. And I had to kind of go in, I remember from 14 to still about 17, till about 18, I always felt that there's something wrong in me. Am I the only one in the world because is there not anyone who's queer because I thought there's something wrong in me. And that whole image of something wrong in me kind of put me apart because it was always questioning your, your own self. Is that something wrong with me? Because others kind of get attracted to women and always got attracted to men and that was me. But then you later on kind of figure out and you go through this constant process of revisioning. And today I've come to a stage, this is what, who I am. And I'm proud of the fact that this is what I am. And I think it takes a couple of years to kind of go through that process and then kind of take back and reclaim that public space kind of became important. So yeah. 
I just want to talk a little more about it because uh, this is something, the anger, you know, that I was so angry for so many years and the anger affects me. It doesn't affect anyone else. I am spoiling my, my own body because I'm angry. So that led me to think about it more and more and try to understand the situation, what is going on here rationally. And then I realized it's not me, it's the other person. I don't know where to place this question, but I'd love to kind of understand the beginning of this conversation that you would like to have with the person who did that to you in the bus. For many years, I thought that there was something in me then, when I kind of got into activism in terms of interacting in my terms of my activist life and then I really came in for my, because after interacting and working with the feminist movement for about, it's been eight, nine years, so I've been very much part of the feminist movement in India and I realized that somewhere in terms of understanding the standpoint of perpetrators and I always believe that what you really need to create is a culture of care and compassion. What we really forget is the politics of care and compassion. I really want to kind of stand from that point into the perpetrator, not necessarily have a kind of anger in terms of rage with the perpetrator. I think getting, I think looking at from another imagination, I want to try that out. And what if you sit, I, I really, if I see that person again, I want to take him out for a coffee, sit with him and talk to him from a, from a more from a compassionate point of view to trigger the conversation that I really want to see what really comes out there. I think that would yield more result than really go out there and kind of shout it out. It's taken me quite some time. It, it took me almost about eight years, but I really want to, still want to, I, I really wish I can meet him somewhere down the line and take him out for coffee and, and have a conversation from a standing point of compassion and care. And I really want to trigger that out. Our family has always been, uh, you know, there has been no gender bias when we've, the way we've brought up our children. But uh, when, now I find myself, uh, when my daughters go out and, I mean, I'm always worried about are they dressed appropriately and are they uh, inviting trouble because they're all going out, they're going to come back at one o'clock in the night, they're taking a cab. And this, um, you know, it's so controversial what uh, we practiced and what I'm thinking now. And, well, that is something that I have to deal with, I guess. But I do worry about the kids. Some from, I don't know from where, maybe from my surroundings, maybe from the rest of the people that I met, maybe my school, maybe the other people I used to interact with, somewhere they idea of blaming myself for anything that happens to me was instilled in me when I was a kid. Just bringing in a small experience, when I was around 10 or 11 years old, I was walking from my dance class back to my home, which is just a few blocks away. I don't remember what I was wearing. However, as I just stepped out of the dance class, there was a Maruti 800 crossing by, and I could hear someone from inside saying, Uthalo, which means pick her up. And I got so scared and I didn't know what to do. There was a house next to me. I just went and started opening the gate of the house, pretending that I'm going inside. I didn't know whose house it was, uh, why, 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 why was I doing that? Uh, then someone, I heard another voice from the car saying, uh, chali gai sir, chali gai, which is like, she's gone, sir, she's gone. And then the Maruti took up, uh, just sped away. 
And uh, that's when my mom came around the corner because she came to the dance class to pick me up. However, I had started earlier. She asked me, why am I going into the house? I could not tell her. I just told her, I don't know. I was just checking what is there inside the house. I really don't know till this date why I couldn't come clean to my mom what had happened. Um, of course, like, I mean, even I guess it's something which most of us have faced similar incidents at some point in time or the other. And nobody, when I was growing up, told me that such things would happen and that it's not your fault. You know, nobody ever said that when we were young. So you didn't have an, like, so when you were growing up, you automatically didn't know what to do because you were blaming yourself for it. Like, you know, you didn't know how else to go because nobody said that it's not your fault. You know, nobody ever said that when you're growing up. So it was never acknowledged in that sense that, you know, that whatever happens, it's not your fault. And like, so it's difficult when you're, when something happens and then you need to justify to somebody how it's not your fault versus it being something ingrained in you that it's not to begin with. Because I was always told when I was growing up by my mom that uh, if you dress properly and uh, actually I think in my case it's very interesting because when I was growing up and I was a child, my mom always told me that, uh, you know, the problem with you is that you look uh, over your age. When I was eight, I probably looked like 12 or 13. So she used to tell me that, you know, you should look young, just wear short clothes and stuff. And I don't know why I was always a very conservative child. I used to wear long skirts and... Uh, yeah, I mean, all my childhood pictures show me wearing long clothes, oversized clothes. So, uh, and suddenly when I grew up, when I was in college, and I wanted to wear short clothes and probably jeans, my mom used to tell me, no, I think now you should wear long clothes. So, <laughs> till date, I've not understood what I was supposed to do. But yeah, I think my mom never, she understood that it's not my fault. And she always used to tell me that, you know, this is how the world is. But directly, she never told me, it's not your fault. I completely, I completely have, so with my mom, I'm never able to tell her instances of sexual harassment on the streets. I can always tell her about racism, I can tell her about any other issues, but when it comes to this, it's something that I just cannot talk to her about. And like you, I still don't know why. Um, the statement, this is how the world is, a lot of us are told that. Uh, I still, I cannot talk to my mother about it. And I think I cannot talk to my mother about it because I want to protect her from feeling bad for me. So I know I can talk about it, but I don't want to go into it because I just don't feel like transferring that pain to her. From the point of view of a mother, I want to echo what you said about contradictions. It's very difficult to come to terms with the fact that one is preaching something or teaching your children something and then immediately kind of contradicting in the way you, as, as she said, even I look at my daughter and wonder whether I should say don't wear those shorts or something like that. This happened, uh, I think, when I was eight. <clears throat> this happened in my own house. This is who called uncles, like old uncle. Uh, whenever he used to come home, he used to kiss me. But that time I never realized why. Uh, neither I could tell my parents. I don't know why I didn't. Now I think I should have told them. I don't know why I didn't tell them. That kept on happening for almost like till I was maybe 12 or 13. Then I realized it's wrong. 
So then I started protecting myself. I said, what you're doing is wrong. Don't come near me. I'm also, I didn't tell the sexual violence uh, uh, I faced in my school days to my mom uh, because of my uh, gender. I didn't say to my mother uh, I faced uh, sexual violence abuse in my school days. Uh, some students from one of the my teacher also. So parents feel that they're responsible for everything, and then they're like very cautious about everything, what you do, what you don't do, etc. Now that seems pretty hypocritical, considering that when I was very young, uh, and the first uh, one of the first major instances when I was molested, my family was just a uh, few feet behind, and yet they didn't know what was happening, they didn't realize what happened. Um, as a instant reaction, I fell ill and I was, uh, we were on a journey and I was ill throughout the journey. I could not even imagine telling them what happened. And that left a scar is that at, at one point they're so overprotective and it just happens two feet away from them. And the last people I want to tell, tell it to is them. It was only much older that I finally just one day, means in fact recently, very recently, it's like decades later, two decades after the incident, that I get to tell my mother that actually protection doesn't work. Just giving an example for some other girl that uh, you're being overprotective is actually counterproductive. You felt bad about this uncle who kissed you, but at one point you realized it's bad and you could tell him. And that's the end of the story. There was something bad, but you were very happy that you could one day tell him and he did not die before. And just compared to you, because of the, the guy who was sitting next to your bus, he vanished. So you have not, you are not able to tell him. But otherwise, you would just have to tell one sentence. It's not what you did, it's not correct. Like you said, your uncle, I see a very perilous thing. And unfortunately, no, fortunately, your uncle didn't die. You were able to tell to him, and you are now okay. But uh, this whole space of not being able to tell, where does that come from? Sitting at the back seat of the car with my parents in front, this is your two feet away, and, um, and this man from the other car looking at me and making these facial gestures, and I was five, and I remember feeling sick, and I remember feeling horrible, and I remember not telling them. And I don't know what in a five-year-old, you know, what was there in a five-year-old that didn't like reach out, didn't tell. And I felt dirty, but I also felt guilty. I also felt, I don't know what I felt, but I felt it was something I didn't share, but I haven't forgotten. I still haven't forgotten his gaze. And somewhere, I suppose, you know, what is it in our environment that stops us from sharing? What is it, what is it that stops, no, I won't say us, I'm going to try, just setting the tone, it's about each of us being the I. I don't know what stopped me then from sharing. And I don't know why I haven't forgotten that gaze. And um, yes, and it was just about how somebody looked, but I haven't forgotten it. Hi, uh, I echo it for so many times that about telling, telling the per perpetrator or telling your family or uh, people who care about you are supposed to protect. So as a kid, uh, also there have been so many incidences of uh, flashing or uh, close family members um, groping or um, young kids uh, touching, etc. But I always uh, wondered 
why I didn't want to tell anybody. Uh, or maybe I have told, but uh, first of all, I never felt that it's my fault. Uh, and second of all, I think I always felt that what do I want? Like, I always never wanted for the other people to be just ashamed. Uh, that was one reason. I didn't want a big conflict and a big uh, a drama around it or punishment. I just wanted the other people not to do it. And um, when I grew as an adult also, there have been a number of, like for everyone, there are so many incidences on the street or in the bus uh, of uh, sexual harassment. But I have, uh, it's just not my temperament to call out. And I find it uh, uh, quite a contrast between me and other women. So. Uh, when uh, somebody in a bus in a crowded situation brushes against you, the first th thought is always whether that is an accident or uh, I didn't want to call out wrongly and so on. So these thoughts uh, have been recently occupying me. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to say something, but I might get more overwhelmed and cry. So um, I was raped last year here in India and why I cried when he said that he um, jumped out of the bus to save himself because at some point I tried to jump out of bed to save myself, but I couldn't. And about blame, um, when I was filing the case, <laughs> when I was filing the case in the police station, the guy, uh, when I confronted him, he came to me and said, you were in a nightclub and you were dancing and you were drinking and you just asked for it. So this is one phase, like, he's actually blaming me. Thank you so much. <laughs> and, um, like, and, and, and the most horrible kind of blame was my mom's when I told her. So she told me that um, basically just your fault because you gone out of the house. Like, you went to India to do something, you should have just do it and not do anything else and just go to your thing and go back and not do anything else. And when, um, because my family is Muslim and um, the guy who raped me is Muslim, so my mother, I and mean, when she knew she was happy that he was Muslim and she told me, why didn't you just marry him and everything will be okay? Um, in, when I was at university, I was assaulted at a house party and I remember telling someone, this is in terms of blame and the subtle ways in which blame can come in. So um, I remember telling someone and the first thing she asked was, how much did you have to drink? And when she talked about being blamed for it and being told that you were at a club, you were drinking, that resonated, that echoed with me. What, how much did you have to drink? Um, you know, I honestly feel that it's not about um, an age, like I'm, like when you're 18 and you're in college and past that people are obviously like, how much do you drink? But uh, so I was uh, sexually molested by, uh, my sister's current sister's husband when I was 13 and when I confronted him finally much later and was the time when I was getting married and of course my parents being the good people that they are had sent out an invitation to 
him and everything. And so I called him to say that, don't you dare show up at the wedding. And his thing was like, oh, no, of course, we are planning to come and this and that and all. And uh, two seconds later, my mom calls me. She's like, I told you I'll handle it. They weren't going to come. Why did you have to do that and stuff? And then I got to know that the story that he had told, like when I was 13, to his wife and also he had covered up his tracks then itself and told his wife, that's my sister, that I had gone and kissed him, and which is why, and he kissed me back, and he's sorry for having done that. But the thing is, like, it doesn't matter how old you are, what you're doing, there's, you know, like, it's, like, yeah, it's, you, you are blamed. And the thing is, like, I know, like, I know what I'm supposed to do about it, I know, I know what to do with that nugget of information that, like, oh, that's the story that he's, telling around, but it's it's just ironic because like he has a 13-year-old daughter now, so yeah. Join the mission. Unite to end victim blame. I never ask for it. Send your garment testimonial to stand in strength, power and solidarity. Send an audio testimonial via email or WhatsApp. You can reach us at 919886840612 and email us at actionhero at blanknoise.org and we will connect with you. You are an action shero. Thank you for listening.